Part 3, Chapter 8, Part 1 of Nostromo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mario Pineda. Nostromo by Joseph Conrad. Part 3, The Lighthouse. Chapter 8, Part 1. After landing from his swim, Nostromo had scrambled up, all dripping, into the main quadrangle of the old fort. And there, amongst ruined bits of walls and rotten remnants of roofs and sheds, he had slept in the shadow of the mountains, in the white blaze of noon, in the stillness and solitude of that overgrown piece of land between the oval of the harbour and the spacious semicircle of the gulf. He lay as if dead. A ray samurano, appearing like a tiny black speck in the blue, stooped, circling prudently, with a stealthiness of light startling in a bird of that gray size. The shadow of his pearly white body, of his black-tipped wings, fell on the grass no more silently than he alighted himself on a hillock of rubbish within three yards of the man lying as still as a corpse. The bird stretched his bare neck, craned his bald head, loathsome in the brilliance of varied coloring, with an air of voracious anxiety towards the promising stillness of that prostrate body. Then, sinking his head deeply into his soft plumage, he settled himself to wait. The first thing upon which Nostromo's eyes fell on waking was this patient watcher for the signs of death and corruption. When the man got up, the vulture hopped away in great sidelong fluttering jumps. He lingered for a while, morose and reluctant, before he rose, circling noiselessly, with a sinister drop of beak and claws. Long after he had vanished, Nostromo, lifting his eyes up to the sky, muttered, I am not dead yet. The capataz of the Sulaco Cargadores had lived in splendor and publicity up to the very moment, as it were, when he took charge of the lighter containing the treasure of silver ingots. The last act he had performed in Sulaco was in complete harmony with his vanity, and as such, perfectly genuine. He had given his last dollar to an old woman moaning with the grief and fatigue of a dismal search under the arch of the ancient gate. Performed in obscurity and without witnesses, it had still the characteristics of a splendor and publicity, and was in strict keeping with his reputation. But this awakening in solitude, except for the watchful vulture, amongst the ruins of the fort, had no such characteristics. His first confused feeling was exactly this, that it was not in keeping. It was more like the end of things. The necessity of living, concealed somehow, for God knows how long, which assailed him on his return to consciousness, made everything that had gone before for years appear vain and foolish, like a flattering dream comes suddenly to an end. He climbed the crumbling slope of the rampart, and putting aside the bushes, looked upon the harbour. He saw a couple of ships at anchor upon the sheet of water reflecting the last gleams of light, and Sotillo's steamer moored to the jetty. And behind the pale long front of the custom house, there appeared the extent of the town like a grove of thick timber on the plain with a gateway in front, and the cupolas, towers, and mirators rising above the trees, all dark, as if surrendered already to the night. The thought that it was no longer open to him to ride through the streets, recognized by everyone, great and little, as he used to do every evening on his way to play monte in the posada of the Mexican Domingo or to sit in the place of honor, listening to songs and looking at dances, made it appear to him as a town that had no existence. For a long time he gazed on, then let the parted bushes spring back, and crossing over to the other side of the fort, surveyed the vast emptiness of the great gulf. The Isabels stood out heavily upon the narrowing long band of red in the west, 
which gleamed low between their black shapes and the capataz thought of decoud alone there with the treasure that man was the only one who cared whether he fell into the hands of the monterists or not the capataz reflected bitterly and that merely would be an anxiety for his own sake as to the rest they neither knew nor cared what he had heard giorgio viola say once was very true kings ministers aristocrats the rich in general kept the people in poverty and subjection they kept them as they kept dogs to fight and hunt for their service the darkness of the sky had descended to the line of the horizon enveloping the whole gulf the islets and the lover of antonia alone with the treasure on the great isabel the capataz turning his back on these things invisible and existing sat down and took his face between his fists he felt the pinch of poverty for the first time in his life to defend himself without money after a run of bad luck at monte in the low smoky room of domingo's posada where the fraternity of cargadores gambled sang and danced of an evening to remain with empty pockets after a burst of public generosity to some pine doro girl or other for whom he did not care had none of the humiliation of destitution he remained rich in glory and reputation but since it was no longer possible for him to parade the streets of the town and be hailed with respect in the usual haunts of his leisure this sailor felt himself destitute indeed his mouth was dry it was dry with heavy sleep and extremely anxious thinking as it had never been dry before it might be said that nostromo tasted the dust and ashes of the fruit of life into which he had bitten deeply in his hunger for praise without removing his head from between his fists he tried to spit before him tifuyu and muttered a curse upon the selfishness of all the rich people since everything seemed lost in sulaco and that was the feeling of his waking the idea of leaving the country altogether had presented itself to nostromo at that thought he had seen like the beginning of another dream a vision of steep and tideless shores with dark pines on the heights and white houses low down near a very blue sea he saw the quays of a big port where the coasting feluccas with their latin sails outspread like motionless wings enter gliding silently between the end of long moulds of squared blocks that project angularly towards each other hugging a cluster of shipping to the superb bosom of a hill covered with palaces he remembered these sights not without some filial emotion though he had been habitually and severely beaten as a boy on one of these feluccas by a short-necked shaven genoese with a deliberate and distrustful manner who he firmly believed had cheated him out of his orphan's inheritance but it is merciful decree that the evils of the past should appear but faintly in retrospect under the sense of loneliness abandonment and failure the idea of return to these things appeared tolerable but what return with bare feet and head with one check shirt and a pair of cotton calzoneros for all worldly possessions the renowned capataz his elbows on his knees and a fist dug into each cheek laughed with self-derision as he had spat with disgust straight out before him into the night the confused and intimate impressions of universal dissolution which beset the subjective nature at any strong check to its ruling passion had a bitterness approaching that of death itself he was simple he was as ready to become the prey of any belief superstition or desire as a child the facts of his situation he could appreciate like a man with a distinct experience of the country he saw them clearly he was as if sobered after a long bout of intoxication his fidelity had been taken advantage of he had persuaded the body of cargadores to side with the blancos against the rest of the people he had had interviews with don jose he had been made use of by father corbelan for negotiating with hernandez 
It was also that Don Martin Decoud had admitted him to a sort of intimacy, so that he had been free of the offices of the porvenir. All these things had flattered him the usual way. What did he care about their politics? Nothing at all. And at the end of it all, Nostromo here and Nostromo there. Where is Nostromo? Nostromo can do this and that, work all day and ride all night. Behold, he found himself a marked ribierist for any sort of vengeance Camacho, for instance, would choose to take. Now the Montero party had, after all, mastered the town. The Europeans had given up. The caballeros had given up. Don Martin had indeed explained it was only temporary, that he was going to bring Barrios to the rescue. Where was that now? With Don Martin, whose ironic manner of talk had always made the Capataz feel vaguely uneasy, stranded on the great Isabel? Everybody had given up. Even Don Carlos had given up. The hurried removal of treasure out to sea meant nothing else than that. The Capataz de Cargadores, on a revulsion of subjectiveness, exasperated almost to insanity, beheld all his world without faith and courage. He had been betrayed. With the boundless shadows of the sea behind him, out of his silence and immobility, facing the lofty shapes of the lower peaks crowded around the white misty sheen of Higuerora, Nostromo laughed aloud again, sprang abruptly to his feet, and stood still. He must go. But where? There is no mistake. They keep us and encourage us as if we were dogs born to fight and hunt for them. The Becchio is right, he said slowly and scathingly. He remembered old Giorgio taking his pipe out of his mouth to throw these words over his shoulder at the cafe, full of engine drivers and fitters from the railway workshops. The image fixed his wavering purpose. He would try to find old Giorgio if he could. God knows what might have happened to him. He made a few steps, then stopped again and shook his head. To the left and right, in front and behind, the scrubby bush rustled mysteriously in the darkness. Teresa was right too, he added in a low tone, touched with awe. He wondered whether she was dead in her anger with them or still alive. As if in answer to this thought, half of remorse and half of hope, with a soft flutter of oblique flight, a big owl whose appalling cry, Ya acabo, ya acabo, it is finished, it is finished, announces calamity and death in a popular belief, drifted vaguely like a large dark ball across his path. In the downfall of all the realities that made his force, he was affected by the superstition and shuddered slightly. Signora Teresa must have died then. It could mean nothing else. The cry of the ill-omened bird, the first sound he was to hear on his return, was a fitting welcome for his betrayed individuality. The unseen powers, which he had offended by refusing to bring a priest to a dying woman, were lifting up their voice against him. She was dead. With admirable and human consistency, he referred everything to himself. She had been a woman of good counsel always, and the bereaved old Giorgio remained stunned by his loss just as he was likely to require the advice of his sagacity. The blow would render the dreamy old man quite stupid for a time. As to Captain Mitchell, Nostromo, after the manner of trusted subordinates, considered him as a person fitted by education perhaps to sign papers in an office and to give orders, but otherwise of no use whatever and something of a fool. The necessity of winding round his little finger almost daily, the pompous of test in self-importance of the old seamen had grown irksome with use to Nostromo. At first it had given him an inward satisfaction, but the necessity of overcoming small obstacles becomes worrisome to a self-confident personality as much by the certitude of success as by the monotony of effort. He mistrusted his superior's proneness to fusy action. 
that old Englishman had no judgment, he said to himself. It was useless to suppose that, acquainted with the true state of the case, he would keep it to himself. He would talk of doing impracticable things. Nostromo feared him as one would fear saddling one's self with some persistent worry. He had no discretion. He would betray the treasure. And Nostromo had made up his mind that the treasure should not be betrayed. The word had fixed itself tenaciously in his intelligence. His imagination had sized upon the clear and simple notion of betrayal to account for the day's feeling of enlightenment as to being done for or having inadvertently gone out of his existence on an issue in which his personality had not been taken into account. A man betrayed is a man destroyed. Signora Teresa, may God have her soul, had been right. He had never been taken into account. Destroyed! Her white form sitting up bowed in bed, the fallen black hair, the white-browed suffering face raised to him. The anger of her denunciations appeared to him now majestic with the awfulness of inspiration and of death. For it was not for nothing that the evil bird had uttered its lamentable shriek over his head. She was dead, my god heart of soul. Sharing in the anti-priestly free thought of the masses, his mind used the pious formula from the superficial force of habit, but with a deep-seated sincerity. The popular mind is incapable of scepticism, and that incapacity delivers their helpless strength to the wiles of swindlers and to the pitiless enthusiasms of leaders inspired by visions of a high destiny. She was dead, but would God consent to receive her soul? She had died without confession or absolution because he had not been willing to spare her another moment of his time. His scorn of priests as priests remained. But after all, it was impossible to know what they affirmed was not true. Power punishment, pardon, are simple and credible notions. The magnificent capatars de cargadores, deprived of certain simple realities, such as the admiration of women, the adulation of men, the admired publicity of his life, was ready to feel the burden of sacrilegious guilt descend upon his shoulders. Bareheaded, in a thin shirt and drawers, he felt the lingering warmth of the fine sand under the soles of his feet. The narrow strand gleamed far ahead in a long curve, defining the outline of this wild side of the harbor. He flitted along the shore like a pursued shadow between the somber palm groves and the sheet of water lying as still as death on his right hand. He strode with headlong haste in the silence and solitude as though he had forgotten all prudence and caution. But he knew that on this side of the water he ran no risk of discovery. The only inhabitant was a lonely, silent, apathetic Indian in charge of the Palmarias who brought sometimes a lot of coconuts to the town for sale. He lived without a woman in an open shed, with a perpetual fire of dry sticks smoldering near an old canoe lying bottom up on the beach. He could be easily avoided. The barking of the dogs about that man's ranch was the first thing that checked his speed. He had forgotten the dogs. He swerved sharply and plunged into the palm grove as into a wilderness of columns in an immense hall, whose dense obscurity seemed to whisper and rustle faintly high above his head. He traversed it, entered a ravine, and climbed to the top of a steep ridge free of trees and bushes. From there, open and vague in the starlight, he saw the plain between the town and the harbor. In the woods above, some night bird made a strange drumming noise. Below, beyond the palmaria on the beach, the Indian's dogs continued to bark uproariously. He wondered what had upset them so much, and, peering down from his elevation, was surprised to detect unaccountable movements of the ground below as if several oblong pieces of the plain had been in motion. Those dark shifting patches, alternately catching and eluding the eye, altered their place always away from the harbor, 
with a suggestion of consecutive order and purpose. A light dawned upon him. It was a column of infantry on a night march towards the higher broken country at the foot of the hills. But he was too much in the dark about everything for wonder and speculation. The plain had resumed its shadowy immobility. He descended the ridge and found himself in the open solitude between the harbour and the town. Its spaciousness, extended indefinitely by an effect of obscurity, rendered more sensible to his profound isolation. His pace became slower. No one waited for him. No one thought of him. No one expected or wished his return. Betrayed! Betrayed! he muttered to himself. No one cared. He might have been drowned by this time. No one would have cared, unless, perhaps, the children he thought of to himself. But they were with the English signora, and not thinking of him at all. He wavered in his purpose of making a straight for the Casa Viola. To what end? What could he expect there? His life seemed to fail him in all its details, even to the scornful reproaches of Teresa. He was aware painfully of his reluctance. Was it that remorse which she had prophesied with what he saw now was her last breath? Meantime, he had deviated from the straight course, inclining by a sort of instinct to the right, towards the jetty and the harbour, the scene of his daily labours. The great length of the custom house loomed up all at once like the wall of a factory. Not a soul challenged his approach, and his curiosity became excited as he passed cautiously towards the front by the unexpected sight of two lighted windows. They had the fascination of a lonely vigil kept by some mysterious watcher up there, those two windows shining dimly upon the harbour and the whole vast extent of the abandoned building. The solitude could almost be felt. A strong smell of wood smoke hung about in a thin haze which was faintly perceptible to his raised eyes against the glitter of the stars. As he advanced in the profound silence, the shrilling of innumerable cicalas in the dry grass seemed positively deafening to his strained ears. Slowly, step by step, he found himself in the great hall, sombered and full of acrid smoke. A fire built against the staircase had burned down impotently to a low heap of embers. The hard wood had failed to catch. Only a few steps at the bottom smoldered, with a creeping glow of sparks defining their charred edges. At the top he saw a streak of light from an open door. It fell upon the vast landing, all foggy, with a slow drift of smoke. That was the room. He climbed the stairs, then checked himself, because he had seen within the shadow of a man cast upon one of the walls. It was a shapeless, high-shouldered shadow of somebody standing still, with lowered head, out of his line of sight. The capataz remembered that he was totally unarmed, stepped aside, and, effacing himself upright in the dark corner, waited with his eyes fixed on the door. The whole enormous ruined barrack of a place, unfinished, without ceilings, under its lofty roof, was pervaded by the smoke swaying to and fro, and the faint cross draughts playing in the obscurity of many lofty rooms and barn-like passages. Once one of the swinging shutters came against the wall with a single sharp crack, as if pushed by an impatient hand. A piece of paper scurried out from somewhere, rustling along the landing. The man, whoever he was, did not darken the light in the doorway. Twice the capataz, advancing a couple of steps out of his corner, craned his neck in the hope of catching sight of what he could be at so quietly in there. But every time he saw only the distorted shadow of broad shoulders and bowed head. He was doing apparently nothing, and stirred not from the spot, as though he were meditating, or perhaps reading a paper, and not a sound issued from the room. Once more, the capataz stepped back. He wondered who it was. Some monterist? But he dreaded to show himself. 
to discover his presence on shore unless after many days would he believed endanger the treasure with his own knowledge possessing his whole soul it seemed impossible that anybody in sulaco should fail to jump at the right surmise after a couple of weeks or so it would be different who could tell he had not returned overland from some port beyond the limits of the republic the existence of the treasure confused his thoughts with a peculiar sort of anxiety as though his life had become bound up with it it rendered him timorous for a moment before that enigmatic lighted door devil take the fellow he did not want to see him there would be nothing to learn from his face known or unknown he was a fool to waste his time there in waiting end of part three chapter eight part one of nostromo